instead of waiting. Okay, well, I'm going to start doing that when I get 10,000 subscribers. When I get 50,000 subscribers, that's when I'm going to start getting serious about trying to make money off of this. Like if you start putting that stuff in action early, then you're gonna make a lot of money in your in your YouTube career. Because the entire time you're on YouTube, those videos are going to be working for you on your behalf to generate income. So to start off, just start with who you are and what you do. Okay. I'm Nick Nimmin. I teach people how to thrive on YouTube by sharing the tools, information, and resources they need to succeed on the platform. <laughs> nice. Now, how did you get into the whole YouTube space and content creation? So for me, I actually went to YouTube as a solution. So one thing that I was into previous to YouTube is internet marketing. Um, I also was doing design work and all kinds of, you know, freelance type things like that. But at the time that I got into internet marketing, I noticed a lot of people were talking about YouTube and how effective it is for collecting email addresses. So I came onto YouTube and I said, hey, you know, let me, you know, possibly consider doing that. And I had all these internal struggles where I was like, man, I don't want to be that guy, you know, on camera. As you can tell by the gray in my beard, you know, I'm not, you know, the youngest person ever. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, maybe I'm too old for this. I'm having all these internal, you know, dialogues going on. And um, in order to get through those, I was like, hey, you know, let me make this my first video and just kind of talk about, you know, what, how I overcame camera shyness and got the courage to go on video in the first place when I intention when I originally didn't even want to do it. <laughs> because, you know, I was afraid of what, you know, my family might say, what my friends might say, you know, those types of things, and even just negative feedback that I might get. So my very first video that I uploaded was about how to overcome camera shyness. And that video is actually still on my YouTube channel. But after that video, I was uploading other videos based on other topics, things that I was dealing with in my life at the time based on what was going on. So I was talking about things like how to stay focused when you're working at a coffee shop, which is, you know, what I used to do. I used to, you know, wake up, grab my laptop, go hit a coffee shop and, you know, do my freelance work. Um, talking about, you know, just how to stay motivated in general, you know, just keep kind of moving forward with whatever it is that you're doing, how to name projects. Because at that time, um, you know, I was trying to, like I said, internet marketing. So I was trying to, you know, always come up with, you know, different things that I was trying to, you know, sell and whatnot. And I would always have to come up with name. So I was sharing those types of processes. And at that point in time, I wasn't really talking about how to grow on YouTube. I did have some additional YouTube related videos like, uh, you know, YouTube channel ideas, uh, YouTube video ideas, those types of things. But again, it was all based on what I was dealing with at that moment in time. And then I got a very unique opportunity. And that unique opportunity was um, when I had about 150 subscribers, which it took me five months to get to, I had the opportunity where somebody that I was watching on YouTube at the time that was teaching people about YouTube, they were crossing 100,000 subscribers and they said, make a video. They made a video saying, make a video if my content's ever impacted you in any way. And if it's good, maybe I'll add it to my celebration video. So I'm like, hey, this is cool. Let me, you know, just make a video and see if I can, you know, get in his video. But in that video, I was explaining to him, you know, the impact that his content had, had on me and how it kind of helped me navigate the initial starting phases of YouTube. And I submitted it. And really quickly, I would say 24 to 48 hours later, I got a message uh, from him saying, hey, we need to talk. So I ended up hopping on a call with him and, you know, I was impressed. I was kind of, you know, shocked because, you know, at that moment in time, you know, again, I had 150 subscribers and I'm thinking like, wow, this, this huge YouTuber from my perspective at that moment in time is, you know, reaching out and, you know, wanting to have a conversation. So like, yeah, I'm all on it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have this call. So, uh, 
we hopped on that call and he said, Hey, I, I love the content that you're doing. You have really good, uh, you know, camera presence, your quality and what it is that you're doing is good. Your cadence and how you're putting video together, your editing, your audio, like everything, um, is really good. And I would love to work with you on another project if you're interested in that. So I took that opportunity. I left the channel that people currently know me for. And I started working on another channel called all our questions, which is still on YouTube. And on that particular channel, that's where I really caught the bug for YouTube. So any content creator that's listening to this, you know, there, there's that time in your journey where you're like, yeah, this is it. I'm all in. Um, that channel was that moment for me because I was being mentored by somebody that knew what they were doing. So that helped me get results, you know, quickly because all this stuff is just a process, but that helped me get results quickly. Um, plus I started noticing, Hey, like I've got people that keep coming back and watching these videos and I've got people starting to send me emails and, you know, this type of thing. And it really got me hooked on the community aspect of YouTube. But the downside is that during that moment in time, I was holding down my freelance stuff. I was still trying to do internet marketing. Plus I was doing that particular YouTube channel. And at the time, the advice that he gave me when we first started the project was make sure that you're pacing yourself. Make sure that you're only uploading enough that you'll be able to sustain for a long period of time because YouTube is a, is a, is, it's a marathon. So I'm like, okay. And then I went all in and started, you know, overdoing what I, what I should have done. And that led me to complete and utter burnout because I was working on something from the time that I woke up until the time that I went to bed every day for a little over a little more than nine months um, in total, maybe, maybe even longer than that, if I'm honest. But when I, uh, you know, went through that burnout period, I knew that I wanted to do YouTube, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do yet still, but I just knew that I couldn't do it on that channel because it's educational content where I had to research a bunch of, you know, content and I had to research like Wikipedia and scour the internet looking for just interesting information about things and then compress it down into bite-sized information that would make really good videos. And then the editing on those were a lot more intense. You know, any content creator watching this, you know, you guys get it. <laughs> but um, um, that entire process just took a really long time to make it. And I didn't follow the advice of pacing myself and all that. And that caused me to get to a point to where I just couldn't sustain it mentally. I just couldn't mentally energy, just the whole thing. I, I just couldn't do it. So I said, I'm hooked on it. I want to do this. This is something that I want to figure out, but I can't do it on this channel. So I'm going to go back to my other channel, which is the channel that people know me for now. And when I started uploading videos or before I started uploading videos to this channel again, I ended up building a website because I knew that this is something that I wanted to go all in on. So I built a website that I could start offering services off of to content creators. And I sold like video graphics and things like that. And I started making videos about it and just kind of networking and, you know, generating the business for that. And through that, over a really short amount of time, I was able to just go all in to where when I was working, everything that I was doing was related something to YouTube. So I was like, hey, I'm, you know, starting to make videos on my, uh, you know, channel again, and this is all great. So I'm going to start just showing a video, one video about how to rank videos in YouTube search, because at that time, that's where I was getting a lot of my traffic from. So I'm like, hey, you know, let me show, let me show them how to do this. And I made that video and the comments lit up and the comments are like, oh my God, this is great. Can you show us, you know, more, can you show us more and more and more? So then I'm like, okay, this is what they want. So let me make another one, you know, of these. And 
everybody loved that one. So I'm like, let me make another one. And then I just started making all of these videos based on people just wanting more and more from me. And, um, and then that, you know, one thing led to another. Next thing you know, I have people reaching out for consulting. I tried, you know, uh, consulting at first. I was like, no, <laughs> that's not my thing. Cause you know, cause that just wasn't my thing. And, um, uh, I had one person after I turned down a bunch of people that said, you know, Hey, let me be, let me, let me just be the person that you try with. Like, let, let's just give it a shot. And I said, okay, you know, let's do it. And we got really good results with him. So, uh, so the next person I was like, yeah, let me give it a shot. But I explained to them, made it very clear that, you know, I was just getting started on that side of things, got great results for them. And then was able to rinse and repeat that. And the awesome part about that particular experience is when you're a content creator, and this is important for, you know, everybody to know when you're a content creator, a lot of us will view how YouTube works and what works in general through the lens of the channel that we have. But in reality, once you start getting access to other channels or even making other channels or whatever, you start quickly realizing that, hey, the same metrics that would cause a video to perform well on this channel doesn't necessarily translate to this channel. The things that I would do over here to resonate with this audience doesn't necessarily resonate with the audiences over here. And it really opened my mind in a major way in terms of you know how nuanced and how different um, everything is on YouTube and how each channel is like its own ecosystem of sorts in terms of, you know, the audience and the people interacting with it and the data that, you know, that translates into performance and things like that. So that was a very long winded answer, but <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that, uh, you know, hopefully that was a, uh, was a good start. Yeah, definitely. No, that was, that was awesome. So you mentioned you like started off with a role with working with another YouTuber, what was the scope of like your responsibilities in that? Was that like producing videos or editing or was it like kind of following a video through? Or did you that one was guidance. So, so basically in that particular case, that was helping them come up with, you know, content decisions. Um, when they would publish videos, I would go in and go in their YouTube channels and analyze, you know, or look at their YouTube analytics to figure out you know, what people were and weren't responding to, um, figuring out the video structures and how to improve those in terms of after you do this, then do this, then do this, you know, based on the things that people respond to. Um, also coming up with a lot of theory because that's part of this game as well in terms of this video did great. Why do we think it did great? And getting into like the psychographics of like everything that's going on around, you know, uh, you know an individual video or a channel as a whole, how people are connecting with the creator themselves, you know, trying to come up with theories about why that is. And then the, the way that that works is that you have the actionable stuff to where you can look in analytics because your analytics in reality are just a reflection of how people are responding to your content. So what you have to do is you have to start asking the right questions around the numbers that you see. So, you know, if you have a really high click through rate on a video or you just have that, you know, great response right out of the gate to a video, you, you got to step back for a second and say, okay, so I have a high click through rate, but why do I have a high click through rate? And not only why, but where am I getting this high click through rate from? Am I getting it from search homepages and suggested? Or is most of this just coming from YouTube search or is most of it coming from home pages? And, you know, it, you just have to, you know, dig into that. And then you start theorizing on why you think it performed well. And then from that point, you have to start testing the theories that you do come up with, with new content until you can prove one way or the other that your theory was correct or incorrect on why, you know, things went well. Yeah, definitely. That makes a ton of sense. Now, is that, um, do you just kind of try things in the videos? Would you like make suggestions for them? Um, yes. And be like, put this into it and then like just kind of see where it goes from there. Is that kind of like the Absolutely. process? Absolutely. 
Yes. So, so what that typically looks like is, and this is great because I've never been asked these questions before. Normally it's just, you know, like, Hey, how to, you know, what should somebody keep in mind when they're starting a channel? So this is great. So, uh, in terms of, you know, the, um, the suggestion. So what we would do is, you know, in your audience retention reports where you can go and you can see just as one example, you can see, Hey, people are, are, are you know, leaving a lot during, you know, the, the first like 30 seconds of the video. So what you can do is you can go in and you can start experimenting with different ways to grab people's attention. So as part of my, you know, consulting at the time, and I'm not taking any clients on any, you know, right now. So just as a heads up for that, for anybody, you know, listening, I might be in like six months or eight months or something, but right now I'm not. But um, when it comes to uh, when it comes to that side of things, you have to look at that and you have to say, okay, so what could we try in order to try to hold people's attention when the video first starts? So the first thing, of course, is we have to look at the thumbnail and the title because that creates an expectation for somebody as they're coming into the video. So that's the first thing we got to look at to see if what somebody's experiencing when the video first starts is something that is in alignment with what they might expect through the thumbnail and title packaging, right? Um, and then from there, you start you know, running additional experiments like, okay, let's try being on camera and telling the people exactly what the video is about, see how they respond to that. Okay, now let's try using B-roll while we have voice underneath that and see how people respond to that. Okay, now let's try having, you know, maybe some, it was a food channel, this, you know, that particular first one. So, you know, like, let's say we show some, you know, really cool shots of the food while we just have music playing as like a little bit of a build up into the actual video itself to just kind of show them what it is that you're going to be showing them how to make and all of that. Um, but, you know, going through those types of experiments is how you figure out like, okay, when we start a video, in most cases, when we start them like this, for this particular type of channel, for this creator, this audience, um, they typically respond well to that. So then you move to the next part of the video and you're like, okay, so after the hook, after we've, you know, got them kind of sold on the video a little bit, then what's the next thing that's happening? A very common problem, and it was a problem in this channel as well, is they had this big, long, like 20 second logo intro, right? And you know, nobody comes on YouTube for that. Like, hey, I can't wait. Hey, what are you doing today? I, I, I'm rushing home so I can hop on YouTube and watch a bunch of logo intros, right? Nobody says that. But like, uh, um, you know, one of the things that he had was one of those really long logo intros. So we're like, okay, um, you know, we look in the audience retention reports, we see people are dipping there. So then we're like, okay, let's, um, let's either, you know, completely remove it or let's shorten it down and see if we can get people past that one, you know, a little bit better. And then you just kind of keep rinsing and repeating that process through the entirety of the video all the way until you get people to the end. And once you get people to the end, that's where you start identifying things like using finalizing language, which, which is essentially saying, and that's how you do this, or that's why I think this, and that concludes our trip too, or the subtle finalizing language, which is. Hey, if you enjoyed this video, make sure you leave a comment, like, subscribe, you know, all the stuff that content creators do. Um, you know, all of that stuff just decimates the ability for people to click on your end screens. So, you know, the thing that you want to do is you want to get people to that end part in your video and then, you know, just cut right to the thing, the next video that you're going to be handing off to and literally try to sell that next video, try to push people into that um, next video, because then you're creating a much longer session on your individual YouTube channel, which is glorious to YouTube. Yeah, that's really good. I've never heard that, like, I guess, verbalized having like just skipping the end part, because like, as you're looking through the the retention graph, I guess, um, and then you kind of go by piece by piece. I feel like most people do end on something like leave a comment, because like, it's obviously helps, but that's it, really it, good to the, hear them. 
You, you know what's funny about comments is um, something that just came to my attention recently. Um, you know, just through you know a YouTube employee, is that um, comments are actually not factored into the YouTube algorithm. So. Yeah, I know that, that the look that you have right now is the same look that I had when, you know, that information was shared with me. And I'm like, really? Are you kidding me? But yeah, so um, likes matter. But um, the comments that you're getting on your videos do not have an impact on the overall performance of the video. Um, the things that matter as it relates to people leaving comments are, of course, the like button. But it's more about people coming back to your channel, right? So when you're thinking of your comment section and you know somebody that might've heard us just talk about that might think, oh, okay, well, I'm not gonna answer my comments anymore. But an important thing to understand is that by answering your comments, you are letting people know that their voice is heard in your comment section and you're increasing the likelihood of those people not only subscribing, but also coming back to your channel on a regular basis and being a part of your community. So you still wanna answer your comments, but it's not something that is going to um, impact you algorithmically. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. I had no idea that it wasn't factored in. It seems like it would be, but I mean, I guess, I mean, treating your comment section more as like a, like a forum forum and a place to connect with people is kind of, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, I agree. Which is really interesting. But yeah, like you were saying before, um, like you're trying to sell your, your cards, like on the end screen. That's really interesting. Cause it's like most people would, um, leave a, different call to action as opposed to that is that like a big change that you see like when people stop um like saying leave a like instead they say like click the card or something do you see a big change when they say that yes without question um if you if you start implementing that right away and you start thinking how am i ending my videos in terms of what it is that the viewer is experiencing there and how can i most quickly get them from the thing that they came into and realizing that that is finished to another to, to click on this next video the more you focus on that and the higher you get your in-screen click-through rate and just the complete rate of your video overall um, the better your videos are going to perform on youtube as a whole um, because when people are leaving there then they are clicking on suggested videos or they're clicking on, you know, something else in the interface and they're, you know, either clicking into one of your videos there or they're going to another video and they're leaving your channel. So when you can create, there's actually a bunch of high level stuff for this too. And we can talk about that real quick also. But basically when somebody is watching your YouTube video and they get, you know, halfway through to YouTube, it's like, hey, they're halfway through, you know, they must be enjoying this. But then when somebody gets all the way to the end of your video, that tells YouTube like, wow, they, they must have really enjoyed this because they made it all the way to the end. And YouTube is big on, you know, satisfaction. So when you can get them to click on that next video, then it's like, wow, they must really like this because they're even watching more of the content. And if you, you know, look at those metrics across the board in terms of your click-through rate, your audience retention, and you look at your in-screen click-through rate, and you start really going in and analyzing your high-performing videos, um, you'll notice how important getting people to click on that in-screen is. Huh. Now, is that factored into your, uh, like the YouTube algorithm, the yes. in-screen click-through rate? Okay. Yeah. That's good it's more. Know. It's more about... It's more about continue, continuing the session on your, you know, on your channel or just getting that stacked up watch time. It's more about that than it is, you know, trying to you know, like trick YouTube or something like that. It's just yeah. like if you if you break everything down on YouTube into like a nutshell version, everything just comes down to the viewer experience and how people are enjoying your content. And if you can, you know, get them to identify it's something that they care about through your thumbnail and title 
or through your thumbnail and then compel them to click on it through your title. And then they come in, they have a good experience with your video and YouTube detects that. And then they watch more of your content. Like you can't show the system anymore that people are really enjoying your content, you know, than, than by creating that um, or making it easy for people to follow that path. Right. Yeah, definitely. No, that makes a lot of sense because they are trying to like keep people on YouTube as long as possible. And yeah, the way to do that is to keep watching videos. Now, are there any like, I don't know, things that you've seen that kind of help the retention rate as you're like looking through that graph, like you mentioned, um, shortening like the intro sequence and stuff like that. Are there any, any other things that you've seen like frequently that um, I guess either can degrade retention or increase your retention? Absolutely. So when it comes to um, the intro, um, just to talk about that one for a second, because a lot of people will use those as like segues and things like that between their hook and the actual content. So when it comes to your intro, um, it's important to make sure that you are looking in your audience retention reports to see how people respond to your intro. I've seen channels where people don't skip a beat, they, they'll just watch it through because it's quick, it's interesting, you know, kind of gets them kind of pumped up for the actual video itself. And they will, you know, those continue watching without even a 1% drop there. Um, then there's other channels that I've seen will lose, you know, like 75% of their viewership during an intro as well. So what the way that you want to think about this is when it comes to your video intro, a lot of people will think of it from like that video. So if they're looking in their audience retention reports, they'll see, you know, like a 2% or 5% drop maybe in their intro or during, you know, that, that time length of their intro. And they'll think to themselves like, oh, hey, not a big deal. It's 1%, 2%, 5%, you know, this particular video, not a big deal. But when they scale that out, over the course of their YouTube career or over the next year or over the next 100 videos that they make that, you know, 2%, 5%, 1%, it stacks up to a substantial amount of people that they miss the opportunity to connect with because it was more important for them to shove their logo in their face instead of, you know, just respecting their viewers time and creating a good experience for them. So, you know, because of that, just go into your YouTube analytics and your audience retention reports for each individual video and just look and see how people are responding to it. And if you do notice those dips, then start getting creative on other things things that you can do. So one thing that I found to be extremely effective with this is if you are um, like, let's say, for example, you are a business owner, um, or your company, or you're, you're even making content for a brand. And they're like, hell bent about Yeah, we got to make sure we get our logo in here for the sake of brand recognition and all that. So what you can do is you can have it to where at the end of your hook, whatever that is, then um, you can actually start your content itself. But as you're starting the content, you're literally talking or, you know, you have music coming in or, or whatever talking I found is best because they, you know, know that it's actual content happening. But basically you just have the logo kind of pop up for a second, just kind of wash over the screen as you're starting the actual content itself. And then it goes away. So then the entire process is, you know, it's not a flash per se, but like if you and I are having this conversation right now, we'll just, we'll just do a, a, a quick, you know, use case here. Let's say I was making a video about this iPhone and the hook was, I'm going to show you how I'm, I'm going to show you, you know, five different iPhone apps that will completely change the way that you use your iPhone, right? That would be my hook. Then what I would say is, okay, the very first app that we're going to be talking about today is blah, blah, blah. So when I say the very first app that we're going to be talking about today is during that part is when I would have the logo just kind of splash up on the screen and then, then it would just wipe away. Um, so then that way they're, they're, the content itself is starting, they can hear it starting, and then they just have that quick visual interruption, not an audio interruption as you're getting into the actual content itself. Um, I found that to be effective. Another thing that you can do as well 
so that you don't interrupt the viewer experience at all is if you are working with somebody and they're like, hey, we, we have to get our logo in here, then in that case, you can put it in the lower third to where as you're getting into the content, you're not putting anything full screen. You don't have a whole moment of time dedicated to it, but just as you're starting to get into your content, you just have a little, you know, lower third pop up on your video, which is for those of you that aren't familiar with the te with the terminology, that's just like a little graphic that pops up in the lower third part of your video, typically on the left or right hand side. Um, but that that lower third graphic can have the logo on it, can have your name on it, those types of things, or you can just have the little logo pop up, bam. And then, you know, and then it goes away there while you're continuing on with the actual content. So then in that way, it's not interruptive to the viewer. Um, another thing that you can do that's also effective is you can panel it. So, you know, right now with the software that we're using, you know, you have each of us on one side. So the same exact thing would apply to where you're talking. You could have you, you know, skewed over, or, you know, if you're walking down the street, you know, doing a vlog and you're holding your camera, whatever, then you can just slide over a little bit and then have that come over as well. So then you still get the branding on the screen while you're doing your thing. And then it bumps back out of the way. So then that way it's a way to ensure that people see whatever's important to you that they see, but then it's also helping them have a better experience with your content as well without interrupting what it is that they're going through. Right. Yeah, no, that's definitely, definitely easy. Um, like I really like those, uh, those examples with like the, the slide over. Cause that one's like, it kind of you get both i was thinking like also kind of like this you could just like put it on the side that someone's not talking like that i mean those are really nice because i feel like in maybe like earlier days of youtube people would do very extended intros and then it, it is definitely that um drop in retention which is really it's nice to see people not doing that as much yeah um, and, and, you know, man, some, some people back in the day, some people still do it. Like some yeah. really humongous channels, they'll just start the video, no hook or anything. They just start the video and they're so dependent on their, you know, on their current viewers when they do this, you know, just kind of sitting through it or skipping through it. But, um, they'll start their entire video, no hook or anything to where it's just like a, you know, 10 or 20 second intro, just kind of getting everybody hyped up for the actual video itself. It's crazy. They would do so much better if they didn't do that, but you know, they're just, you know, they gotta, they gotta get it in there. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so strange to me. There are some really cool intros though out there. I've seen a few that are like almost like motivational videos, but it's like it's like a I don't know, 5 second intro, which is like it's an interesting concept doing that. I don't know how that would compare to like doing nothing though. I don't know, what do you think about that? Well, the nothing part usually is the best because it more is reliant or it's more reliant on the viewer experience than it is, you know, trying to get your logo out there. So, you know, anytime that you're prioritizing the viewer experience for anything, it's a win. Yeah, that's definitely true. Now, I want to get into your channel a little bit. You do mostly live streaming, right? I don't. So oh, recently, really? so I'm going through a moment of experimentation on my channel. So yeah. one problem um, that I have on my YouTube channel, because most of my videos are about different aspects of YouTube. So I got videos on there about, you know, live streaming with StreamYard. I've got videos on there about, you know, using all the different YouTube tools. I've got videos on there about how to, you know, get subscribers. I've got videos on there about how to get views, a bunch of those. I've got videos on there about some nuances as well. Like, for example, when you're asking for subscribers, how to do it properly, videos about how to start your videos, how to in your videos, you know, all of those things, but I've got over 500 videos on that particular channel. But recently, because of the nature of my content, it's a very transient niche, which means that when, you know, cause I, I target newer, mostly content creators, 
So because of that, when somebody comes onto the platform, they get introduced to me, they go and they see my videos page and like, oh my gosh, this is like all the stuff I want to know. And that's great for a period of time. But then once somebody gets familiar with the content, they learn all the best practices and they learn how to do the stuff, they can move on. They don't really need the content anymore unless they come back and hang out in one of my live streams that I do every uh, Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern for the plug there, um, where I answer questions for like three hours straight. But um, um, in most cases though, well, not in most cases, in all cases, what I've experienced on my YouTube channel since I've been doing it since 2014 is that people will come in, they'll enjoy the content for a certain period of time. And then either once they start to get success, they won't watch it as much. Um, or once they decide not to do YouTube, then of course my channel has no value to them anymore. So because of that, my channel, there's just a very transient nature to it. Now, because of that, I've just recently, and this is why you noticed the, the live streaming, just recently, um, I was thinking to myself, okay, what can I do from a strategy perspective to, you know, get people coming back to the YouTube channel and kind of secure the people that are, you know, coming into the channel? So what can I do to kind of, you know, get it at both ends? And the solution that I came up with that was to do news on my channel. So basically, I have a segment that I do every Friday where I share news that impacts content creators. So it's not, you know, news that's happening in the world. It's all like on platform stuff or, you know, things that are happening with brands, you know, those types of things. And um, my my big play with that from a strategy perspective is it's kind of like the top of funnel. So, you know, my my news will introduce new content creators to the things that are happening on the platform. Um, and as their YouTube channels become more and more successful, that news is going to become more and more important to them because, you know, they have more at stake. Um, and for people that have already experienced the channel, as they slowly over time figure out, you know, about the news thing that I'm doing, um, then, you know, hopefully some of those will come back as well. So the whole play for it is to retain viewers on my YouTube channel at the very least for that particular segment so I can increase the new viewership. So far, it's working like a charm. My new, uh, or sorry, my returning viewers are, you know, like I'm my, my graph looks like this of, uh, you know, returning viewers coming back compared to what it was. So um, it's working like a charm, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes long term. But even right before this, conversation that we're having now, YouTube just put out a, um, a, a notice or a um, announcement that they are creating the uh, creator music, which is uh, basically where content creators can use free music resources. But the whole thing is so broken, it's ridiculous, and there's so much risk involved. So I was like, hey, I'm going to live stream this as well, just to kind of let people know that it's not as awesome as it might seem like on the surface. And, you know, there's some very clear things that they need to make sure that they are knowledgeable about. So instead of making a video about it and going through that process and, you know, making the video, getting all the screenshots together, uploading it to Dropbox, you know, putting in my content scheduler, letting my, my editor know that it needs to be made, him editing it, getting it back to me for review and, you know, taking me three days to, you know, get the whole thing together. I'm like, Let's just go live and, and and talk about it that way. So right now I'm doing a lot of live streaming um, because of the news, because of my Saturday show that I do. And then I'm hopping in from time to time with little announcements like that, you know, about things that YouTube is doing as well. So I'm definitely doing a lot more live streaming now. Um, but starting next week, I'm actually going to start putting out more video content as well again. Oh, cool. Now, yeah. how do you know, um, I guess, like how your viewers are finding your live streams? Because that's kind of like they have to be on it at that time. Um, or do you post them afterward and like how much marketing I guess or like announcements do you do to get people to come to your videos or your live streams so when I was first getting started um, I would post them in like you know content creator Facebook groups and things like that I'd be like hey I'm going live on Saturday if anybody wants to come in and it would only be groups that I was active in where people in the group knew me that kind of stuff but I would be like hey I'm going live so if you want to come hang out you know um, you know feel free to you know do so if you got any questions or whatever 
So, um, so that was, you know, how it was initially, but now, um, because I've been doing that consistently now, um, for man, probably, probably five years now, maybe even longer since I first started streaming. And, um, you know, during that time, it's just become like a known type of thing. So I have some people that, you know, like if I don't live stream, I'll get like Twitter messages, I'll get emails, people asking if I'm okay and things like that, because I've been so consistent with it. Um, but now it's more of just like a destination where content creators will just kind of come and hang out now and just kind of use it as a thing that they're listening to in the background when they're starting their Saturday or whatever. But on the marketing side, I don't really do much marketing for it. I just kind of let the show itself carry the weight. Like the real reason that I do that particular live stream, like the news, I'm doing that to, you know, grow the YouTube channel. But for the live stream, the one that I do that's for three hours, um, that particular one, the entire thing is Q&A. Unless I have a guest on, then, you know, we'll reserve the last hour and, and you know, kind of help or have that person help me answer questions. But um, when it comes to the Q&A thing, that's more about me just being able to help people solve the problems that they're having specifically. Because, you know, like I can, I can research and figure out the videos that, you know, people might be likely to be interested in and things like that, but nothing can match the value of, you know, my subscribers coming in and they have a question about something they're trying to uncover, something they don't understand or a hurdle that they're trying to overcome. And then they can just directly ask through the form that I have. Um, they just ask the question and then, you know, I can, I can address them directly and help them solve the problem that they have. So the real reason for that particular stream isn't necessarily to bring in a bunch of new people. It's more about just serving the people that are already interacting with my content that might have questions that I don't have videos about. Yeah, definitely. No, that's a good format because it's like, I don't know. It's very interactive with your audience, which is really, I mean, that's always a good thing to interact with your yeah. audience. That's really how you build a community. It is. And really, you know, when it comes to the live streams, man, like the, um, like I look at my live stream that I do, my Saturday live stream is like a really big part of my, of my brand and my, my personal brand and what has helped, you know, a lot of people notice me because, you know, the, the live streams, like when you make video content, you can polish everything. If you make a mistake, then, you know, you can go back and fix it. Not a big deal. But when you're live streaming, especially when you're answering questions on the fly, it really, you know, it just shows that, you know, the stuff that you're talking about, that, you know, the subject matter. And because of that, um, it's gotten me speaking engagements, you know, in all these different places. It's gotten me, you know, literally trips. Like I, I had a um, two years in a row, I had a company in Armenia um, it's a media company there, bring me over to Armenia to teach a bunch of young Armenians about YouTube and how they can thrive on YouTube and all of that for a week um, for, for each time. So, you know, the live stream has brought those types of opportunities because it gives me the opportunity through serving, right? Because serving is where you always win, but it gives me the opportunity through serving my community and answering their questions specifically um, to demonstrate my knowledge of what it is that I do, which then helps people that are participating also be like, yeah, hey, let's uh, reach out to this person <laughs> because you know they clearly, you know they they clearly understand the subject matter. Yeah, that's really true. That you have to like, I don't know. It's kind of hard to get that proof sometimes that you do know what you're talking about. But it, it is, is like so important. I guess you've kind of just developed that over time, just learning and then creating content, and then people realize that you really do know what you're talking about, right? Yeah, and and still learning, man. Like like all this stuff, it's changing so fast. Like, uh, you know, when I started the news, I did a one month where I was, where I was like, Hey, I'm going to just make sure that I have enough information coming out from YouTube that I'll actually be able to sustain this. And, um, from when I started, like, it, it's just been like a, like a waterfall of, you know, updates that YouTube's making and you know, like all this different stuff that's, uh, that's going on. Um, that's, that's, you know, made it 
possible for me to do the news. So in terms of, you know, the learning side of things, you know, I think that when we stop learning, we become stagnant, stagnant, stagnant. <laughs> and, um, you know, because of that, you know, I think that, you know, all of us as content creators, we're always learning because this whole landscape is evolving very rapidly. Yeah, it is definitely. Now, how do you like, I mean, I guess just being involved in it is like a good way to keep up. But do you have any other ways that you keep up with the landscape? Because you do seem to be very plugged into it. Um, for me, it's it's basically just keeping up on anything that YouTube puts out. Um, I'm in contact with people that work at YouTube that, you know, can get me some information as well. Um, in addition to that, I have my own personal experience. I have the experiences of, you know, people that I've worked with in the past that will also, you know, send me information and that will hit me up and be like, oh, hey, Nick, you know, I was, you know, experimenting with this and look what I found out, you know, like those types of things. Um, so basically, I just have information coming in from a lot of you know, a lot of different sources, in addition to just the, you know, publicly available stuff that like, if you just go to Google news and type in YouTube, then, you know, you're going to get all kinds of, you know, different things that YouTube is, you know, currently working on in different aspects and Google as well. Yeah, right. That makes sense. It is. Yeah, those are good ways to keep up with it. Now, I kind of want to get back to uh, when you mentioned burnout and working with, uh, I don't remember the creator's name, um or like their channel but you mentioned that you got really burned out with their content how did you like realize that you needed to like do something else and then how did you like actually make the change um and i guess just like solve your burnout um i was i was unhappy and and to be transparent i've been through burnout like a few different times on youtube and it's kind of funny like um like when it comes to creator burnout it's absolutely a real thing and i've i've been through it you know multiple times but like if you really put it into perspective like there's people that wake up every day and go to jobs right and they're not like oh i'm burned out like i don't know you know how i'm going to do it like you know they don't have those types of complaints that we do as creatives so I just find that aspect of burnout a really interesting thing. Like, I mean, I guess everybody might be burned out of their jobs. I'm not sure. But like when it comes to, you know, content creators, it's a very, you know, like creator burnout is a real thing. And it's a big part of the conversation if you're a content creator. But for me personally, um, I noticed it because I started feeling um, more agitated by comments than I did excited or interested in comments. Um, I also started not looking forward to making videos. I would find myself when I was making content um, anyway, it was just getting more difficult to even get through, you know, the scripts that I was putting together at the time, things like that. And my frustration to where, you know, at one point, and even now, you know, like when you're when you're making content, you're sharing stuff, um, it's it's fun, it's exciting, you know, and, and you know, you have your presentation, you feel good, you know, when you're doing everything. But when you're going through burnout, like every part of the process starts being either difficult or frustrating, or you start just negging out on it, just being negative about, you know, the whole experience. Um, in addition to that, you just feel low energy. Um, in some cases, you can start, in my case, you know, you start getting a little bit depressed where you start thinking like, what am I even doing this for? And, you know, is this really going to work out? Is this like really a path that I can even go? Like what? So stupid. Why did I even start, you know, doing this thing? And you start going through like all of these, you know, this internal dialogue that beats you up silly. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, once you identify like, holy crap, I, I might be, you know, burnt, going through burnout right now, maybe all this doesn't suck. Maybe I'm just going through burnout, I need to give myself some time and some peace and some space and like really analyze what it is that I'm doing, maybe readjust the goals that I have, you know, those sorts of things. Um, and that's how you get out of it. So um, from the like, you know, this sucks, and I'm frustrated to like, oh, this feels great. So happy that I'm doing this. Um, that transition was probably, I would say a good, probably like two months of time. But during that time though, it was, you know, 
stopping YouTube for me. It was stopping YouTube um, and, you know, building a website, focusing on that other project, getting that ready. And then through that also, you know, realigning or, or resetting, you know, goals that I had and things like that. And just kind of getting a better understanding of what I was actually doing it all for and the impact that I was trying to make and what I was trying to get for myself and, you know, all of those types of things. So then by the time I started making videos again, I was excited again, you know, more into all aspects of it. Yeah, that's that's good. Taking a break is like kind of, I guess, the main way that you hear most people talk about doing it. Um, yeah. Now, during that time, you said you were building your website. Were there any other projects that like kind of helped you through that? And then also like, did you maintain like in streams of income or did you have like passive income or like how did you support, support yourself through that? So, and at that moment in time, um, part of the reason that I burned out is because I was working on that YouTube channel. And when I wasn't working on that YouTube channel, I was also doing my other business of all of the design stuff and internet marketing. So during the initial part of my YouTube journey, I was making my money from the internet marketing and from um, the you know design service that we had. And I wasn't making any money from YouTube. So that's why um, I was like, hey, I gotta, I gotta, you know, I gotta start thinking internet marketing, I got to start thinking of, you know, like, how can I, you know, make something where I actually have something to offer and all of that stuff, so that I could make sure that I could start, you know, monetizing on that side, so I could relieve myself of, you know, doing the the other stuff on that side. So basically, what I did through that website, is I combined the two things that I was doing over here, which is internet marketing, and then design service. And then I deployed those on that particular website and then spread awareness about it through my YouTube channel and through networking. So with that particular website, which is still online, by the way, I just don't offer services on it anymore, but it's a store. Um, but for that particular website, what I did initially is I offered um, a package on there and it started, I, I started cheap, man. I started doing them. I think it was like 200 bucks for a full package. And then by the time I was done with it, I got up to, I think like 500 bucks. But um, what it was, was people would order a package of all YouTube related stuff. So it would be like a branding package. So for example, they would get like a lower, uh, like an animated lower third, they would get a logo intro, they would get an animated end screen, they would get a full screen graphic. So if they wanted to put text on it or something like that, they could or screenshots or whatever. Um, they would also get a YouTube channel header. And then as part of that, I also made it to where and a transition that was logo branded also. Um, and then as part of that, I would have upsells where I would also do the same thing for like their Twitter accounts or their Facebook accounts or, you know, whatever. Um, so through that service, what I did is I basically took the design service of just doing a bunch of random stuff to just focusing it on YouTubers, which also helped me network in the YouTube community as well. Um, so, you know, that particular move of building the website, I didn't know it at the time, but that particular move of doing that was actually a really good move for me in terms of, you know, just getting me completely embedded into, you know, just surrounding myself with content creators virtually, locally at that time, because I live in Thailand. So locally at that time, I didn't have, you know, anybody around me that was making content. My brother does now. But at that time, I didn't have anybody around me making content. So I was alone here. But um, but virtually, you know, I was I was, you know, I was that allowed me to, you know, initially start networking um, pretty awesomely, actually, through providing those services. That's really cool. Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense. That's cool that you like, made something specific for YouTube. Were those like custom um, graphics? Like, were you making those for the individual people? 
Yeah. Nice. So with that particular uh, website, so basically what it was, I mean, what it is, it, it's called TuberTools, TuberTools.com. Mm-hmm. But basically what it is, is it's a storefront to where they can buy like video graphics and like little subscribe buttons and animated subscribe buttons and in-screen graphics and whole like YouTube kits and things like that. But what I don't offer there anymore that I used to offer that kind of helped me be able to go all in was I offered the custom packages. And those custom package were the video branding kits where they could, you know, where they would get all the lower thirds, you know, all the other stuff uh, that goes along with it. But um, uh, that the services made the most money on the site until I changed it to a membership model. And then now I have it to where, you know, you can buy something a la carte from the store or you can join a membership where you get, you know, just full access to all the updates that we put in there and, you know, things like that because we update it three times a week. Um, But then you get, you know, access to all of that stuff through the membership. And once I got the membership side going, then that was, you know, that was one of the things that allowed me to stop doing the services um, on the website or the branding packages on the website. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's a really cool model. Um, Were there any other like, people doing similar things to you when you started that at the time not that i'm aware of so i looked around i mean of course they were just random designers on like you know uh like you know web forums and stuff like that that were offering services but in terms of you know something targeting youtube content creators at that particular time um to my knowledge i was the only service doing that yeah so you really uh i guess captured that niche which is really good now was this something that you could just kind of like, I don't know, I guess what sparked your inspiration to do the graphics? Well, you were, you were an internet leveraging marketer. skill sets. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's leveraging skill sets, man, because, um, you know, like as a, as a, as a content creator, uh, well, we won't even use that, you know, part of it yet. Like as a content creator, you gotta, you know, build those skill sets too. But with the job that I was doing before, like I'm a graphic designer. So like, you know, like I was like, okay, I'm a graphic designer. I know how to make YouTube videos. Um, like, you know, what can I offer based on my current skill sets to where I could actually just build something from scratch and then start making money from it. And, um, just based on those skill sets, I'm like, Hey, I I literally, for that website, I learned how to animate graphics. So I was like, Hey, the one thing that I don't know how to do yet is animate, you know, graphics. So let me go ahead and, you know, start learning how to animate graphics. Um, and then I, you know, started, you know, just putting the whole thing together as I, you know, as I learned how to animate the graphics as well. So, but in terms of the store, um, itself, Like, uh, you know, initially, like a lot of the stuff is just super basic, but at that time, it's a totally different world now, but at that time, like, you know, that was, that was more than enough for, you know, for what people needed, uh, you know, for their, for their videos and whatnot. Yeah. Some people still use them. Like some of the ones that I made, people are still, you know, still using them in their stuff, which is pretty cool. That is really cool. Now, Mm -hmm. leveraging skill sets is like a really interesting thing because, I feel like a lot of people might not necessarily go into what they want to do or what they're good at. Um, they might like do what they think will do well on YouTube. So like if you're trying to like use those two things, like creating content and then leveraging your skills, how can you kind of like combine those? Is that like finding your niche? Is that like kind of how it works? It is. Um, like when it comes to leveraging the skills that you already have, um, I, I, I think just to kind of back that up just a little bit, I think when it comes to the topic of your YouTube channel, I think that is a very um, intimate decision. I think that some people will will go with a certain channel type or certain niche because they think that it increases their chances of success um, or getting whatever it is that they want out of YouTube. 
But then I think that there are other people that will, you know, start channels just based on like, hey, this is what I love. So let me, you know, you know, share, you know, whatever about that. And I think for the people that start it based on, hey, I'm going to do this for the purpose of, you know, success, because this is what typically works well on YouTube. For those people, um, I think that when you first get started with that, you'll be pumped, you'll be excited about it, you know, because it's all new, you'll be in that honeymoon period, you'll be like super pumped up. But then once you become known for that, um, that'll start to get to you. Um, I would say in a lot of cases over time, where if your heart's not in it, it's going to quickly start showing that your heart's not in it. And I think it's going to be reflected in your content, it's going to be reflected in your mind state, it's going to be reflected in the joy that you're getting out of what it is that you're doing. So, you know, using myself as an example with that other channel that I started, um, I went with that channel based on the opportunity. And I had the concept already before we even like talked about it. Um, and I thought, hey, it'd be cool if there was a YouTube channel, you know, doing this. And I had the name for it and all of that. And, um, um, but it wasn't something that I was interested in enough to go ahead and do it, right? I needed that push from him to actually do it. So what I actually enjoyed was the stuff that I started the YouTube channel about in the first place, which was, you know, just sharing how to overcome the problems that I was having at the time and, you know, those types of things. So it makes sense to me, and I didn't really think about that until this conversation, actually. It makes sense to me that I burned out on that other channel because I wasn't just super passionate and super pumped out about the content that I was sharing. It was great, and I was excited about it for that period of time, but then after I settled in and I started you know, just doing the routine, that's where everything started falling apart. And then when I came back to my current channel, and, you know, I had the, you know, new plan for that and all of that, because I just like making the type of content, I like teaching, you know, people stuff, which the other channel did too, it was just a different type of stuff. Um, I've gotten much more joy out of the content that I create there. Um, so I think that if you start a channel for the wrong reason, again, short term, fine, might do awesome, but long term, depending on your personality type, some people it won't impact at all, but depending on your personality type, if you're not the right person to, you know, to be like, Hey, I am going to do that because it increases my chances of success. All I want is to succeed and I'll do that at any cost. If you're one of those people, then, you know, that might be the path for you. But if you're not, you might want to make sure that you are making content about something that you are passionate about. And the reason for that is because when you first get started, you might not see it this way, but as your YouTube channel grows, it becomes like your subject matter becomes something that you obsess over. It becomes something and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're vlogging. It doesn't matter if you're making videos like I do. It doesn't matter if you're showing people how to cook food. It doesn't matter if you're gaming. Like it doesn't matter what you're making. Like if you are, you know, passionate about it, like you're going to be, you're going to be pumped up to like go in and do it. You're not going to have to try to motivate yourself. You're just going to want to do it because it's something that you enjoy. And, and that is, that's great for your mind state and it's going to make you feel awesome, but it's going to be something that you're going to be able to sustain for a really, really long period of time because it is something that you, that you enjoy. So when you are, you know, considering, you know, which path to take, I definitely would lean on, you know, passion or interest first, but within that, I also understand that some people are in a situation like I was to where you're coming to YouTube as a solution to something because I was wanting to get out of those other, you know, businesses, but I was just, you know, I just didn't have a clear path because I didn't even understand the potential on YouTube at the time. So, you know, when somebody comes on, 
and they start walking down the path, you know, the, the one path of, you know, I'm just going to, you know, make whatever just for the sake of trying to get a bunch of subscribers or whatever. You know, I think that road is much more short lived than making content that you care about. But like I was saying, it's also important that you are sustainable in every possible way. So, you know, you got to be making content about something that you're passionate about so that you can want to keep doing the thing. But you also got to, you know, make sure that the content that you're wanting to make, if you're wanting to be a full-time content creator, you got to make sure that you can monetize it enough to reach whatever financial goals that you have as well. So, you know, when it comes to YouTube ads, um, you know, you can make a substantial amount of money through YouTube ads if you're getting crushed with traffic. But if you, depending on your content type, you can make a boatload of money through other monetization methods without even having to get a lot of views on them. And because of that, it's important to make sure that whichever path that you decide to take on your channel, that if you want it to be sustainable long-term and to help you go full-time faster, that you are at least researching out of all the things that you're interested in, break down like, okay, out of all the things that I love to do, I would love to make a video or love to make a channel about these like three or four things, and then start researching monetization options. And by doing that, what you're going to do is you're going to ensure that your future as a content creator and your ability to generate, you know, a substantial amount of money from what it is that you're doing, um, you're ensuring that that's going to be done at the most likely highest level <laughs> in terms of actually being able to see it through. Um, if you do also pick or combine your passion with something that is, you know, a little bit more easy to monetize. So as an example of that, gamers, right? So with gamers, if you get crushed in views, right, you're going to do awesome. But one problem that a lot of gamers have is, you know, alternate monetization options outside of crowdfunding. So because of that, a lot of content creators will put all of their eggs in the YouTube basket in terms of like, okay, I'm making ad money, I'm making super chat money, I'm making membership money and all that. And it's, it's awesome. Like, you know, we're, we're crushing it over here. But then they get, you know, a couple of copyright strikes or copyright strike, whatever their monetization's down for a little bit. The impact that that has is substantial compared to if they had diversified the way that they're monetizing through the research that they did before they started the channels and all that, then that would open them up to where it's like, hey, you know, my YouTube money went down. It sucks. I, I'm losing a ton of money right now until, you know, they turn it back on. But I've got these other things going to where I can still continue to, you know, live my life without having to like really stress out about, you know, losing the monetization on YouTube. Right. Yeah, no, that's so true. You do have to like continue that sustainability because like for most people, it's a long-term thing as opposed to a short-term yeah. thing. Now, what are some of those alternate, um, I guess, methods of monetization? You mentioned AdSense and then Super Chats and that kind of thing. What are some others that might be like? Yeah, so on-platform, we'll just kind of group all of those into one, which we'll call on-platform monetization. That is your AdSense, that's Super Chats, that's Super Thanks, Super Stickers, um, channel memberships. Um, they've got courses coming in the future where you're going to be able to offer courses. Um, on-platform, I would also look at merch as one of those as well. Um, you know, anything that you can connect to your YouTube channel, um, you know, like a direct connection or on platform, I look at those as on platform monetization. Um, so you have that. Um, in addition to that, you have fan funding in general, which you can do through YouTube memberships, which again would fall under on platform, or you can use a service like Patreon, um, which has recurring memberships, which is if you're trying to get money fast, doing things that are recurring will always get you money fast. Because if you send somebody to that thing, like let's say your Patreon, for example, if they sign up on Patreon and they are supporting you over there, since it is a recurring service, that means as long as you're giving them content that they enjoy and you're interacting with them over there, 
they're going to stay paying as long as they're able to or as long as they're into what it is that you're doing or as long as they are receiving the value that you think that you are giving them they're going to stick around so because of that that compounds very quickly you know once you get you know, like 100 patrons in there you know you can be making like a decent amount of money based on you know the different tiers that you have i have a friend of mine here um, in thailand he talks about cryptocurrency and um, on his Patreon alone, I think now he's making like seventy or eighty thousand dollars a month um, just off of Patreon. That doesn't include all the other ways that he monetizes. So when it comes to crowdfunding, you know, you can make a you know substantial amount of money, you know, with that. But it's always best to go the recurring, you know, the recurring um, option. So again, you can use like Buy Me a Coffee or Ko-Fi or something like that. But you have that. Um, next, you also have entertainment platforms like Uscreen.tv. What they are is they are where you can essentially create your own Netflix of sorts. So let's say that you have a YouTube channel and you are doing like vlogs or some type of lifestyle content. Then what you can do is you can start a Uscreen channel. And with your Uscreen channel, you get like apps and you know, all this different stuff that you can do. And then people pay a monthly fee to that to get exclusive content as well. So think of it like Patreon, but on steroids. Like you can live stream into it and like all this other stuff. So you have those types of options as well um, where you can do those sorts of things and you can start stacking up your recurring revenue there. Again, all these things require additional work. But, you know, they are things that you can do to kind of get the, the ball moving for you quickly um, on your YouTube channel. Um, the next thing that we have is affiliate marketing. I can't brag on affiliate marketing enough. So um, affiliate marketing for me is one of is one of my main pillars of monetization. So when it comes to affiliate marketing, what that is for anybody that's listening to this that's not familiar with it is with affiliate marketing, what you do is you sign up for um, affiliate programs for different companies. And when you sign up for those programs, they give you a link. It's a custom link that when you share that link with people, if they click on it and they make a purchase, then you make a commission. Now, within that, there's a bunch of nuance, a bunch of different programs. For example, there's some programs um, to where if you're able to send a decent amount of traffic and you can prove it, they'll actually upgrade your status um, within their affiliate system. And they'll start working out really cool deals with you to where, like, for example, I have one video on my YouTube channel. And if you just think about this in terms of the value of the video. So I have one video on my YouTube channel that I made as a review video, like, hey, let me just make this review video, whatever, and get a lot of questions about it. So let's do it. Contacted them, showed them some affiliate stats for another thing I promoted as an affiliate. They gave me a deal where they're giving me $25 for a free signup because they understand the lifetime value of their customers and all that. So they were giving me $25 for a free signup. So that one video that ended up ranking well in search ended up making me over $50,000. Um, and all it was, was me just reviewing that particular thing. So how that worked is I made a video reviewing the product. So people that were already interested in the product were looking for information about it. So I gave my thoughts about it, showed them all the you know different features of it and things like that. And for the people that said in their own mind, hey, yeah, I think I'll get this. Some of those people went down to the description of that video. They clicked on the link. They went to that website and then they ended up you know making the purchase um, or just signing up for a free account to try it out. And when that happened, um, as soon as they sign up for it, then I get $25 credited to my account. So, you know, when it comes to affiliate marketing, you have all kinds of different things. Other places will um, just give you commissions right out of the gate. So with their commissions, how it will work is the, like, um, like you send a sale, you get a certain amount of money for the sale. So for example, we have a, a, a product that's, um, that's, that's out. It, it's like an old 
product. It's been around for years, but they just completely redid everything. Um, it's called Tube Spanner, and I'm working with them, you know, on, on the advisory side of things. And I'm also making content for them as well. But basically, what they um, are doing with their affiliate program is I'm, um, you know, working on them or working with them on that, trying to help them, you know, fine tune everything. But what they're going to be doing is they're going to be giving content creators or not content creators, but anybody that promotes that service, 50% of the sale. So there's a lot of affiliate programs that will do a similar thing. So how it works is some people, they'll give you, you know, 10% of a sale or 5% of a sale, but other people will give you 25 or 50% of what it is that's, that's going on, which if you think about that, and, and when it comes to affiliate marketing, if you think of the value of what's going on there, essentially, if you can find 10 good products to promote as an affiliate that will give you a high commission like that, that gives you all of the benefits of actually owning those companies right? In terms of the traffic that you're sending, it doesn't include the traffic that other people are sending, but it gives you the benefit of owning those companies without any of the headache of having to deal with employees or overhead or, you know, what their brand messaging is or like any of the other, you know, complicated stuff. Like you, all you have to do is send traffic to them on a regular basis. And then your, your bank is just keeps getting deposits from all these different, you know, places that you promote. It's crazy. But like when it comes to affiliate marketing, that is a fantastic way to get your foot in the door in terms of making money from your YouTube channel. So uh, another version of this is everybody knows about Amazon. So once your channel gets to a certain point, I'm not sure what the requirements are as of our conversation, but once you get your channel to a certain point, you can also apply for the Amazon affiliate program. Keep in mind, they pay peanuts. However, it's a way to get your foot in the door. So what they do is if you send traffic to them, even if somebody doesn't buy the thing that you're recommending or the thing that you mentioned, if they buy anything else on Amazon within 24 hour period, you still get a commission on the stuff that they bought. So because of that, um, you know, just when it comes to affiliate marketing, it's a fantastic way that content creators can make easy money. And especially if somebody's just getting started on YouTube, like if you're not in the partner program yet, don't even worry about it. Just find some really good things that you can bring attention to as an affiliate. Make sure that your audience knows that you have links in the description to those things. And you can start making money from your very first video that you put up on your YouTube channel. And that's actually something that I recommend is that as you're first getting started, like while you're working on your skill sets, once you can make some good videos that people respond to well, go ahead and start getting some uh, monetization strategies together and figuring out exactly you know how you're going to monetize what it is that you're doing and do it. Because if you do it while you're just getting started or, you know, like once, you know, you, once you get the baseline stuff of making content that people respond to, well, once you get that undercover or once you get that, um, uh, under control, then as your YouTube channel grows, since you're deploying all that stuff, you know, as you're getting the ball rolling, as your YouTube channel grows, your in, your income's going to grow. So then by the time you reach a hundred thousand subscribers, like you're banking, Right. Instead of, you know, instead of waiting, okay, well, I'm going to start doing that when I get 10,000 subscribers, when I get 50,000 subscribers, that's when I'm going to start getting serious about trying to make money off of this. Like if you start putting that stuff in action early, then you're gonna make a lot of money in your, in your YouTube career, because the entire time you're on YouTube, those videos are going to be working for you on your behalf to generate income. Next thing that we have, um, of course, is sponsorship. Now for this, you gotta have an established channel of some kind, doesn't have to be huge. Depending on your sales abilities, you might be able to get a sponsor on a small channel, but in most cases, people will wait until they have some decent momentum to get sponsorships. Sponsorships are also extremely lucrative, and it's um, something that some content creators just refuse to do. 
And then some content creators actually hunger for the day that they're going to be able to get sponsorships and work with companies. So everybody has their, you know, personal opinions on that one. But um, when it comes to sponsorships, that's also another, you know, really great way to monetize your content. And it's actually, you know, pretty easy because then you get, you know, depending on how you set things up, you know, you can do it in a way to where you essentially have an entire year's worth of income that you already know that you can count on um, that you haven't even made videos for yet. So depending on, you know, how you negotiate and how you, you know, present what it is that you're doing to some of these companies, and as long as they see the value in you, you can also, you know, really work that out in a great way as well. But that is another part of niching down. So just as a quick side tip here, if it's okay, Owen, if I, um, you know, kind of go off the rail here for just one second, yeah, is sure. um, when you are... Uh, when you are thinking of your content type and you're thinking of, you know, niching down on YouTube, in addition to niching down, helping you perform well on YouTube, it also makes your content extremely valuable as your channel grows. Because if you have a variety channel, you just have a bunch of random things on your YouTube channel and a company goes and looks at your YouTube channel because they loved one of your videos, they go and look at your YouTube channel and they see you just have a big mess of content, then your audience and the people that you're reaching isn't a perfect fit for what it is that they're doing. Therefore, they're only likely to sponsor maybe a video, two videos, maybe three videos. If it does well, maybe when you make that type of video, they'll sponsor it, things like that. But it's harder to lock them into long-term contracts. But if you have a dedicated channel for a dedicated audience and all of the content in your channel, when that brand goes to your channel, they're like, wow, all these videos are reaching the people that we're trying to reach. That's where you really increase the value of your brand, um, your YouTube brand. And you can really start doing awesome um, when it comes to sponsorships because they see that without even having to think about it. They're like, yeah, we want to work with this person. So what do we got to do? Um, and then that gives you tons of leverage in terms of getting longer contracts, because when you first start getting into that, a lot of people, self-included, would just do like one video, one video, one video, and it keeps you on this hamster wheel. But when you niche down like that and you're serving like a really good audience and you start coming on the radar of, you know, companies or you start doing outreach to, you know, bring attention to yourself to these companies, um, when they see that value, that they're more than happy to work with you in longer form contracts, three months, six months, you know, a series of videos, you know, whatever it is that you're doing because they see the value and what it is that you're doing. But on the monetization side, um, let's see, we went through those. We've also got, so here we did affiliate marketing. Um, we also have personal products and that's gonna be niche dependent. But when it comes to personal products, you know, you like, for example, you have like Matt's Offroad Recovery who, you know, he just put out this line of stuff through um, Daryl Eves and one of his companies to where they do like these like bands that you like strap, you know, stuff down into your truck and a bunch of other like truck accessories. You have cleaning channels that have made millions of dollars just off of microfiber cloths that they sell that are, that are their own. Um, for anybody here that's familiar with Pat Flynn, um, he's also made, you know, a substantial amount through his company for the switch pod that he has. Um, you know, physical products um, are, you know, another way that you can monetize. I know for a lot of people, hearing that you might think like, oh, yeah, right, like, I'm going to go and, and make something that, you know, like somebody would, you know, actually go and possibly buy in a store. That sounds like a big project, but you can absolutely do that. And please try not to limit, you know, what you think you're capable of, because, you know, it, like everything is a process and everything is a system. You just have to figure out what that system is and you can walk it and, you know, follow the same systems that have been laid down before you. So please never limit yourself in your thinking on what you can do. Um, but then you also have digital products as well. 
um, with digital products, that is where, you know, technically the use screen thing that I mentioned before or any other thing like that, that could technically be a digital product because you are putting up additional content off platform that people would pay for. So that is technically a digital product, but depending on your content type, um, like let's say if you're a gamer, then you could make like printable maps that people could buy. You can make printable um, like PDFs of like very specific things in games that people will buy. Um, you can make, um, uh, you know, if you have a successful gaming channel, you can make a, I know there's one guy that sells um, like a PDF and a small course around how he built his gaming channel that he makes a lot of money off of. Um, you know, you can do those types of things. If you are a cooking channel, then you can sell recipe books, you can sell aprons, you can sell um, anything related to, you know, cooking and all of that. So um, when it comes to, you know, digital products, I guess an apron wouldn't be digital unless it was through merch, then I guess it kind of would be. But, uh, but when it comes to um, digital products, though, um, you know, you can make a substantial amount of money with those as well. So for example, that website that I was talking about um, earlier, you know, that would be, you know, seen as a, you know, digital product. So, um, so, you know, you can um, do that. And then of course, there's other opportunities that come out of the woodwork, like as you start gaining momentum, and as you start coming onto the radar of people, other opportunities come up like the thing that I talked about in Armenia, um, you know, depending on your content type, you know, you might get paid like some content creators, and this is crazy. If you think about it, some content creators get paid to show up at parties. I'll say that again. They get paid to make an appearance at somebody's party. So in terms of, you know, those types of things, like as a content creator, you might have, depending on, you know, again, it's going to depend on the niche that you're in and the people that are watching your content and all that, but you might have, you know, the opportunities that are crazy like that, that'll just come out of the woodwork that you had no, that you couldn't have seen if you planned everything out to a T, you still wouldn't have seen those and they'll still come your way as a content creator once you start picking up momentum. That's awesome. Yeah, those are all super good. And it's like so nice to have... Um... It just all clearly laid out because there are so many different monetization, um, I guess, methods that a lot of people don't necessarily think about or know about or feel that they can like actually do them when most people can. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's good to just have it all laid out like that. That was awesome. All right, so this is getting to the end of end of my time. I have one question, one final question. What is one thing that you recommend everyone buy that's under $50 to just improve their life? Oh, interesting. To improve their life? Yeah. Or or content. Anything. Meditation cushion. Meditation a meditation cushion. cushion. Yep. Buy a meditation cushion. Um, you can get them off of Amazon. And when you buy that meditation cushion, put it somewhere where you're going to see it every day and then commit to the practice of daily meditation for about 20 minutes a day and it'll change your life. You won't see it coming. Like uh, you'll just start noticing little details about like, huh, I'm like a lot more focused when I'm working or, huh, I don't seem to need my phone as much or, hey, I'm not biting my nails as much or, you know, like, hey, I'm being more conscious about, you know, just the way I'm living my life and what's important to me and things like that. Like um, the meditation cushion, I think, is one of the best purchases somebody that can make. And if you have money left over, there's a book called Search Inside Yourself, which is all about meditation. Because when I say meditation, people are like, oh, that's all like woo woo, like, you know, like spiritual stuff. 
um, you know, for some people it is, but you know, there's also a science behind meditation and what it does to your brain and all of that. But the book called search inside yourself, um, it was actually written by, um, an ex, uh, Google employee. He was the person that actually, he was the ambassador where if like a president went to Google offices, he'd be the person that'd be like, Oh, Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Google and whatever else formalities that he had to do. But he'd be like, Hey, welcome to Google. And then he would take him through, give him the tours and all that. But, um, he was an avid meditator. His parents were, and he, the, the Google CEOs allowed him the opportunity to actually start testing meditation on Google employees. So they would have like these things and they would, um, these like, uh, you know, sessions every day. And then they would start tracking the employees over time, tracking their happiness, their satisfactions in their job, their satisfactions in their life and all these things. And all of the people that went through this program, everybody was like, Hey, my life is better. My relationships are better, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But he goes into the science of, you know, meditation and how it impacts your brain and, you know, all of those types of things. So if you have money left over from the meditation cushion, which you probably will, then in that case, uh, you know, pick that book up. It's called search inside yourself. Awesome. That was perfect. I love that answer. That's a very like, I don't know. It's a good answer that you would not expect. So I love that. <laughs> All right. Are there yeah, any... and, and the funny thing is with that answer is like uh, you know, anytime I talk about meditation, I talk about it publicly, I always have to put that disclaimer about the woo-woo thing. Because <laughs> yeah. I know like some people, me too, like before, you know, before I started practicing that, I was like, like people are talking about, it, I'm like, oh, another one of these. Right. <laughs> but uh, but you know, now, you know, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid now. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it's so good. It's so helpful. It is. <laughs> All right. Now, do you have any uh socials, any uh projects you're working on that you wanna plug? Absolutely. So um, we started a free music service for YouTube content creators, um, actually content creators in general, anybody that makes content anywhere can use them. Um, it's called Creator Mix. You can find that at creatormix.com. Um, we have a YouTube channel for it, but you can also listen to it on Spotify, Apple Music, all the other streaming services as well. But um, you go to creatormix.com if you want to actually download the songs and use them in your videos. Or if you just want to live stream it in the background, you can do so through like Spotify or anything like that through whatever streaming software that you're using. Um, I also have the tube spanner project that I'm working on. That's tubespanner.com. Um, and that is a YouTube toolkit um, where we have like social media bio links. Um, social bio links is what we call them. And there you can, uh, you put it in like Twitter, TikTok, things like that. And then when people are hitting your bio, they hit that link and it'll show like a, a video of your, uh, you know, latest YouTube video based on your choice, either the latest YouTube video, your most popular one, or just a unique video that you, <clears throat> that you select to go into that spot. Um, in addition to that, there's also like a subscribe button on there. You can link out to anything. You can put images in there, whatever. Really cool. You can check out mine if you just go to my Twitter account. Um, in addition to that, there's also script writing tools in there that will help you write better scripts. We have an upload assistant that helps you just fly through video descriptions, things like that, title inspiration, and a bunch of other helpful tools that, you know, just help content creators in general. But it's kind of like a toolkit for content creators. There's amazing companies like TubeBuddy that help people with like search optimization and testing their thumbnails and those sorts of things. We don't compete with any of that. Um, we have an entirely different toolkit of, you know, tools that we're putting out to help content creators in different ways. So those two things are really what I'm focused on. <clears throat> Excuse me. Those two things are, are really what I'm focused on right now. Awesome. Well, that was a thanks great... for letting me mention them. By yeah, the way. of course. That was a great episode. I love that. So much value in such a short period of time. Well, thanks for being on the episode. My pleasure, Owen, man. Thanks for, um, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.